Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking... But I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes. Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast, brought to you from the team behind Cycling Plus, MBUK and BikeRadar.com. Welcome to the Bike Radar podcast from the uh, team behind Cycling Plus magazine, Mountain Biking UK and of course BikeRadar.com. Uh, I'm Rob Spelling, I'm the content director, which is a very grand title for um, I'm not sure what, um, I do a lot of great stuff. Don't worry if you are tuning in to hear the dulcet tones of Tom Marvin, who's been presenting the last few of these. He is here, aren't Hello. you, Tom? Yeah, there he I'm is. Yeah. Uh, Tom, of course, is our technical editor from uh, Bike Radar, so he's going to be full of great um, tech chat. <laughs> <laughs> and also joining us for even more great tech chat, which I think is a thing, is um, Robin Weaver, and he is the editor-in-chief for our tech team uh, here at Hello. Bike Radar. So what are we going to be talking about today? Lots of amazing stuff. As I've said, tech chat. I think I'm going to keep using tech chat. What do you reckon? Yeah, go for it. Tech chat, yeah? Yeah. Tech chat. Um, we're going to start off talking about Shimano and SRAM. They have got some uh, new group set, so we want to talk about the differences between them, the differences between the companies, um, and... That'll be a lot of fun, right? It will, yeah. yeah. It will be interesting. It will be a lot of fun, mm. yes, it will be. That's going to be good. And then we're going to look at upgrading kit, you know, where you should spend your money. Is it worth dropping hundreds of dollars, hundreds of pounds on new kit, or should you spend it on other things? I'm not sure what other things you'd spend hundreds of quids, quids on. I can't, can't think of anything I'd spend money on other than bike stuff. And um, then we're also going to sort of get around to our test team, Robin and Tom, our Senior members of that team, they have been testing bikes for hundreds and hundreds of years. Make They're it gonna... sound really old. Well, we are. <laughs> we are. You know, we're, we're all like in our 20s, aren't we? Yeah. 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 Um, really experienced guys. Um, and we're going to talk about how they get around to testing bikes, not how they get around to testing bikes, actually, how they test bikes, what goes into it. It's not as easy or as glamorous as they make it look. And they'll tell us just why that is. But we without could... moaning. But without moaning. Because if you moan about testing bikes, someone deserves to give you a slap, really. Yes. 
Okay, so. I can do that if you want. Yeah, <laughs> crack right. on. So, so Shimano and SRAM, and it is SRAM, isn't it? I, when I started many years ago, I thought it was SRAM. I'm wrong, aren't I? I think it's SRAM, not SRAM or SRAM. SRAM. I probably did say SRAM, didn't I? SRAM. But anyway, SRAM. So let's talk about Shimano and SRAM. It's probably fair to say of those, t- I mean, these are two really big group set manufacturers. They're the two. Well, there are more than two, but these are the two that mountain bikers and roadies really talk about. Shimano, probably the biggest of the two. I don't think that's actually a probably in that it is, sentence. Isn't it? Yeah, it definitely is. But they have both launched some quite exciting stuff over the last few months. Um, on the roadside, we can talk about SRAM and its new uh, ETAP Axis um, Red and Force group sets, electronic, 12-speed, wireless, very sexy, I think. And then uh, we've also got GRX from Shimano, so their first one-by uh, group set, aimed specifically at gravel riders. And then you guys um, in the mountain bike world, what have you been excited by? Well, SRAM have obviously come out with their access uh, for Eagle, so the mountain bike, first wireless mountain bike group set. And that's at the super top end, so that's pretty cool technology. Yeah. And obviously, we've had ETAP on the road, but finally... You know, we've got 12-speed wireless. Uh, but they've also done SX Eagle, which is a super cheap budget one. They didn't really talk about it. There's been no press releases, but yeah. we spotted it. Um, and that's really opening out the full 12-speed Eagle group sets for those really budget bikes because it's coming in at only a couple of hundred quid sure. there or thereabouts. And mountain bike-wise, Shimano, what have they been up to? Well, they've got the new XT and SLX group sets, which, although we haven't... Ha- well, they launched XTR last year, but up until about a month ago, we didn't actually have our hands on it. It's been taking that long to kind of come to market. Yeah. But ST and SLX are pretty much ready to go. They should be in the shops sort of around about now, in fact. We were kind of expected to see XT this year because they go on like a sort of a three-ish year pretty regular cycle this morning because mm. they're super traditional what they do. But I think SLX was a bit of a surprise when we heard that that was coming because it's effectively a year early-ish. Yeah. And can you sort of explain to um, someone like myself... Uh, uh, an uneducated road rider, where all of these um, different group sets sit, what you know, what what's the difference between them? Which are, are they expensive? Are they budget? Are they? Sure. Yeah. So the, of the ones we mentioned, SLX sits at the more sort of budget end of things. Um, it's in this case twelve speed. Um, uh, it gets very similar in terms of construction across the board across XT and XTR. But it'll be things like um, treatments of the materials will be slightly different. Um, it's going to be marginally heavier. It might not have quite the same features. The shifters, for example, on SLX, you might not get the multi-release function that you get on XT and XTR. And there won't be the little add-ons like uh, the new XT and XTR both feature little things like a thumb pad, a rubber thumb pad on the shifter paddle, and you just you won't get that on um, SLX. I guess ST, uh, SLX isn't going to have titanium in the cassette either. No, so I think it gets one. It's uh, one aluminium cog and then eleven steel. Mm-hmm. XT will be. I think it's be the top three or four, which would be alloy. I think it's three aluminium, then um, the rest steel, and then you get is it three aluminium, five tie. Yeah, and then right? another. Th- or steel. Or steel, yeah. yeah. 
And that's all done sort of obviously keep weight in check. And, yeah. Is, um, it, is it just weight? Because I'm sort of wondering, yeah. you know, it's, it's similar on the road, you know, different materials, different weight. How how important is is the weight of a group set to a to I mean, I think when it comes to XTR, like, or, you know, the top end SRAM stuff, weight is important because it's the headline figures that people yeah. are looking for. And these are designed for, you know, World Cup races. Right. When you get lower down, I guess the, the cheaper you get, the more uh, durability comes into play. Uh, and weight becomes less of an issue to some extent. Yeah, I mean, in theory, the the treatments they use on the more expensive chains, so on XT and XTR, it should actually increase durability, whereas the SLX doesn't get that, mm. hence it's that bit cheaper. So that could play into things over time. And performance-wise, yeah. you know, performance-wise, what? Well, how noticeable is is? I think that the, the performance-wise, the the most noticeable thing between the different group sets for me is the shifter feel. That like the XTR shifter is like one of the best feeling shifters. I'd say it's like the best feeling shifter on the market. And what do you mean by feeling? Is it is it nice and smooth? Does it return nice and softly? Is it like in the car? You know, you can tell the difference between a mm. cheap car and a posh car with the grab handles. If you've got damped grab handles, you're in heaven, aren't you? <laughs> is it similar to that, or is that a completely yeah, wrong analogy? Yeah, I think analogy? so. It, it feels smooth. There's like a nice light feel, but there's a definite sort of click within them. I think the biggest yeah. change over this generation next to and the previous was the previous generation felt very, very light with very little sort of, uh, you didn't get that much feedback when you shifted gear through it the shifter. It right? wasn't an overly positive click, yeah. was it? Whereas this one is a bit more click, click, click in a nice way. Yeah. So mountain bike wise, is Shimano, is it following the same path that I think we feel it does with uh, on the road? Because Say GRX, it's a gravel group set. It, it specifically, it's it's one by. It's their first one by group set. They've taken quite a while. SRAM definitely on the road and certainly mountain biking. I think. Correct me if I'm wrong. You know, really took the lead there. Something to appeal to gravel riders, cyclocross racers. Might take a bit of time to to really sort of um, get any traction, so to speak, on the road. With Shimano, we kind of think it, that it's more about getting things working really well, making things work right. And they do, you know, Ultegra and Dura-Ace mechanical group sets are, well, they're all really good, I, I think. I've used, I've used most of them. They're all good. I'm not a massive tech nerd, so the differences between them are, you know, to me, are, are they're not that obvious. Someone like Warren Rossiter, the senior tech editor on the road, you know, he can tell the difference between... Ultegra and Durace and Ultegra DI2 and Durace DI2. I don't know. I think it's some kind of voodoo or witchcraft that he uses or science. But it, it, it to me, it's just Shimano always feels like it works well. And GRX, the sort of initial um, feedback we're getting is that, you know, it just it works mm-hmm. and it works really well. It's not 12 speed like um, Axis, SRAM Axis, which again, the, both the, the Force and the Red ETAP versions of that electronic 12 speed. Uh, designed for both road and also for, for, for gravel, so really versatile, lots of um, parts that you can change around on on the SRAM sets. Um, and in particular, I think the, the thing that I found with, with the electronic group sets, the wireless charging is that it's just a, it's like it's like your mobile phone, where your mobile phone you can't take your battery out of. Say a camera, you can take your battery out of a camera and you can charge it wherever you are, which is something you can do with, with, with the SRAM electronic group sets whereas with shimano if you've got an electronic group set you do have to plug your bike in um which um you know most people don't mind because they want to bring their expensive bikes in the house um i think on the mountain bike side the, the di2 electronic shimano stuff hasn't 
it hasn't taken off at all, really. There's a few e-bikes that have had it with XT, but even like the, the latest generation XTR and XT doesn't even have Di2 with it anymore. Mm. I don't know whether that's because they're dropping it or whether they're just waiting a little bit longer for them to release a new version of it that might be better or worse. Who knows? Or wireless. Or wireless. Mm. Mm. It's, it's interesting because on the road, we've really followed mountain biking, you know, with this year or the last few years, not this year, it hasn't all happened this year, but, you know, tubeless tyres, disc brakes, um, mountain bikes, a one by, you know, that came first on mountain biking. Mm. Electronic shifting, definitely road bike first. And... At the top end, it, it's you know it's arguable that you need it. It's a nice to have, but it's you know mechanical group sets work really, 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 really well. Um, but roadies seem to quite like that. They like the electronics. They like the noise it makes. The you know it's kind of quite saucy. Mountain bikers less so. Well, I think I think when Shimano launched XTR Di2. They essentially replicated the mechanical shifter, so you still had almost the same throw as you would with a regular shifter. Okay, the shifting was super consistent um, and really light and easy to use. You did then have the added faff of wires and having to stow a battery on your bike. Mm -hmm. And like you said, you need to then bring your bike into your house or I think originally before the app existed, it was plug it in and have the software mm. on your computer mm. so you could fiddle around with um, functionality and stuff like that. And and then there was, yeah, I mean, for me, I, I had a bike with it on for a year and there was always the worry of snagging a cable, snagging a wire, right. which I did all the time and then you needed a tool to then pop it back mm. in. If you're loading your bike into the car or if you've got a messy garage or whatever it might be, it was a bit of extra faff. So for me, I mean, I'm not racing cross-country. I wasn't mm. too bothered by... I guess the feel of it and I sort of figure you know with mechanical I can just change the cable if I need to it's as simple as that they had it did don't get me wrong it had some amazing functions um being able to program um and use just one shifter for example so as you go up the block at the back you could program the front mech to shift into a bigger or smaller gear as and when you needed to and and do away with your left hand shifter so you could put your seat post remote there Stuff like that was really good. But I think, I guess there wasn't the appeal personally for me. And I think a lot of mountain bikers who are kind of, I don't know, looking for something a little more robust and um, totally foolproof meant that there was a, a few of these little things that maybe might have added up to put them off. And then, of course, you got the, the cost factor. It wasn't cheap. Mm. 400 quid for mech, I think it was. I don't think, I mean, access isn't any much cheaper to particularly itself, is it? And it'd be interesting yeah. to see how the wireless stuff, because you say you don't, you don't have the wires, you don't have all that sort of faff. Maybe maybe this is when electronic group sets in mountain biking will take off. Well, I think, and, and you and I spoke about it when we were riding last week, I think having, you know, it's beneficial to them, the fact they went second. Mm. So they can kind of look at that stuff. And, you know, I think it speaks volumes that they haven't just replicated what a shifter would be in a mechanical group set. They've gone... Well, let's just make it some kind of paddle or a button. You know, there's. it feels very different. It is like riding something quite different when you actually use it. Um, and then they've also they've built in some fail-safe stuff. They have, um, they have a feature on the rear mech where if you bash it, it'll just move out of the way and then resets the mm. original position, which on something so costly is mm. obviously something really beneficial. Um, 
again, you know, you could argue that a mechanical group set does more or less, you know, the same job just as well. But who knows? It'll be interesting to see how it sort of how it fares on the market. Um, and is it is it this is the SRAM axis uh, on the mountain bike side? Is that app controllable? Because certainly in uh, on the road, we've you get an app and you can sort of tune your tune your uh, shifting to suit yeah. yourself, so you can go sequential, which I think means when you 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 sort of go up a gear and either up or down a gear, it kind of actuates the front. Right, I'm not reading this, but yeah. so the sequential so a lot like is, on the yeah. Shimano yeah. in yeah. that sense, yeah. yeah, synchro shift, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, because it's one bar, you don't have that issue, mm. and so yeah, you you still but you still can use the app to control what the buttons do. Yeah. on the shifter, there's three buttons, so you can alter what those buttons do but equally i mean i think the first time i rode it i simply just bowled it on and just went out and just played yeah. around with bits and pieces and and just just to try i think the biggest thing for me was the angle in which you put it at because it is like i said totally different to ride a mechanical mm. and you know ridden for however long on the same sort of mechanical style shifters and you end up knowing exactly which angle you want to put it at to mm. hit the thumb trigger and you end up going, oh, hold on, I need to actually move it the opposite direction to be able to make it work for me and different mm. situations. It is it is a bit different. Yeah. Is there a, a preference for you two between electronic and, and um, mechanical? Would you always prefer mechanical? Would you... I'd, have, I'd have electric on the road. Right. So I think more than anything, you've got a really big throw on the mechanical mm. levers, which is when, you know, you're standing up climbing or something like that, yeah. making those shifts, especially when you've got a broken wrist yeah. like me, it, all <laughs> of a sudden it um, becomes far more awkward. Yeah, I mean, the difference between um, Shimano and 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 uh, SRAM on the road, actually, is it, one of them is in the levers. And actually, so Shimano's is much more of a sort of a soft button press and it, it, it feels not remote, but it you don't get the replication of what you get with a mechanical group set whereas SRAM's ETAP the I, I've used the previous generation red ETAP it is a bit more physical it's a bit more there it's not a clunk and it's still pretty smooth but it is there's a bit of a, a throw but it's not it's nothing like a, a, a normal mechanical does the whole lever set. move or is it just like a little paddle behind the brake lever? um you've got paddles and levers and you can you, you yeah. sort of you can move the further you move them the quicker you shift up and down the block and things like that. Because they're shifting, and, I mean, it's the same on the mountain. I think their shifting's quite, has quite a positive click yes, to it. Yes, yeah. Because they have double tap on. Yeah. That's it, yeah. And it's, I've used that and you definitely, yeah, there's a definite distinction between Shimano mm. and Shram in terms of feel. But you get sure, used to same. Mm. Yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah, you adapt. Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, And, we, and like, we're lucky because we get to ride these bikes. I mean, that's what, uh, you know, I think sometimes as as cycling journalists, we can forget that, Someone who is riding Di2, Shimano Di2, probably actually, because that's an expensive outlay, probably isn't actually going to have the luxury of being able to try ETAP unless one of their friends has got a bike with ETAP or they want to do a, a test ride at a shop. So we're kind of lucky in that we can we can try them both out and go, yeah, we like mm. them both. I think what I liked about when, when ETAP came out, like the, the whole shifting thing of you have a left shift and a right shift mm. and, and you... You know, you hit one to go up the block, one to hit go down the mm. you know go down the block, and then both together to do the front mech. Like yeah. that for me, I think sort of really showed the difference in approaches that SRAM and Shimano sort of have. You know, we talked about how Shimano tried to replicate the feel of a shifter, mm. 
Whereas no one had really, it wouldn't have occurred to you before that SRAM did it, that you could actually do it yeah. in a different way. And, you know, I, I feel that that is, you know, we've seen it with the 12-speed Shimano mountain bike groups that have come out three years behind SRAM have done 12-speed. They've done it really well, mm. but it's taken them a long time to come and do it. So do you think that's a fundamental difference between the two companies? Is one of them... Um, sort of a, an innovator and isn't scared to try things that might not necessarily come off and or, and is one of them sort of a little bit more conservative and, and sort of likes to just make sure that we'll do this but we'll get it right naming no names or naming names it's entirely up to you yeah, I mean that's a really hard one I'd say and no lie believer alright um, <clears throat> I think it is fair to say that Sh- Shimano are traditional in their approach in their approach and, mm. and maybe cautious isn't the right word but you, you can't and and Not in a reflection of, of SRAM, but you know that when a Shimano product comes out, it's probably going to be completely bob on, right? Mm. Uh, the new, you know, the new group sets have really. Do you want to translate bob on for uh, our non-Lancastrians? <laughs> really good. <laughs> you are from Lancashire, aren't you? You actually, just, actually oh, don't say well. God, <laughs> that's quite awkward. Yeah, but they're the same place, aren't they? <laughs> right? Well, no, no. Should we cut that out? <laughs> no, but no, yeah, I, I think that. You do know, you want like, to explain that for the people from Yorkshire, God's own country, Mark? God's one of own. my favourite uh, counties. Bobon means like reek good. <laughs> you know, like you know that when Shimano stuff comes out, it's going to be going to work. It's going to work yeah. really well. And there's very you know, okay, like we can argue about the, the feel of the XJR DR2 shifter and whether it was appropriate to do it like that. But the latest generation mechanical XJR and XT that I've ridden has been some of the best. Well, probably the best group sets I've ridden. Yeah. I haven't ridden Access Eagle. Okay. I mean, it's hard, isn't it? I think because when Shimano, especially when they bring out the lower tiered stuff, so that's what I think stood out for me is when they brought out XT and SLX at the same time, Mm. both 12-speed, some differences obviously between them in terms of features and stuff like that, as we've already sort of discussed. But you, you, you do think, why would I buy XT? When you can just buy SLX. And you know it's going to work just as well. More well, the only thing I'd buy of XT would be the shifter because that because double release. Get, yeah, true. Yeah, is, the mic release thing. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, so if, I think if you are looking at buying a new 12 speed group set from Shimano, if you've got a free hub that will take micro spline, that's another topic for another day, maybe. But yeah. I would spend another 10, 15, 20 quid and get the XT shifter because yeah. I think it is a step up in quality. And the Shimano 12 speed talk there on 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 the mountain bike side is interesting because that's not something that they've done yet on the road side obviously mm. SRAM have the idea of 12 speed and axis is that you have a wider range and there's less jumps between the uh but between the between each gear again it's something that do ordinary riders notice or is it just something that you have and um, it's good to have, and it's not going to make a massive difference to your cycling. But you maybe until you've got it, you don't know you need it. And I don't. How did when you know twelve speed came along on on the mountain bike side? Was it a was it a game changer, or was it just a kind of oh that's nice? I think it was probably a fair evolution. Mm. I don't know whether it was really game changing, but I think having that having a wider range with a one by system, you know. Yeah. And, I guess that was why Shimano maybe have taken a little bit longer than SRAM because they've been very dedicated to keeping the front mech in there where you ne- don't necessarily need such a wide-ranging mm. cassette. And and the new group sets actually come with, you have the option of having a double. They're still doing the double. Yeah. Double yeah. way on the front, yeah. yeah. But 
Yeah, I think if you're riding up a real steep hill and you can drop into 50 or a 51 to sprocket and, you know, and still run a maybe a 32 or a 34 ring up front, it's, it's having the range yeah. is always going to be useful. I mean, I, I'm a roadie and I'm still using, um, you know, two rings at the front. I, I miss the days when you can have a triple. How would you persuade me as mountain bikers who've been using one by for years to try GRX with its one by and, and try Axis one by or or it doesn't even have to be Axis, any one by system on the road. And actually as mountain bikers, what do you think of one by on the road? Should we should we just steer clear of it or is it actually, you know, it makes sense? If you're talking pure road cycling as opposed to gravel, I think they're two different things. Mm-hmm. One by has been important on mountain bikes because it gives you tire clearance, it gives you the ability to have Improved geometry around the bottom bracket over yeah. the frame because, you know, tyres are getting wider, all this sort of stuff, and you don't want a massive Q factor. On the road, you're still running, what, 28s or something. There isn't the same real estate issues that you have with mountain bikes. And I think on a road bike, you, you know, you're, you're pedalling and the cadence is very important to how comfortable mm. you are, whereas mountain biking is a bit more stop-start on the pedal. Yeah. I think... When you know when I ride on the road, I do like a closer range cassette, and I do still like a double because mm. I want to be able to exactly match the cadence I want for that situation. Yeah, I think if you're talking gravel, maybe slightly different. You've got smoother running, you've got you know less maintenance issues, there's mm-hmm. more mud clearance from a one by system, and therefore having that wider range cassette to give you that sort of spread of gears without the faff of a front mech is valuable. But and- also, you can fit a dropper post and then use your left hand shifter. Yes, to work it. That's true, and that, that's. That is a again as a as a roadie a, a dropper post. Why would I need a dropper post on the gravel? But on not, the gravel bike, yeah, yeah. But I'm just going to do you know easy gravel. I'm not going to do any massive drop offs. You should do more fun drop offs. I should probably should. I <laughs> yeah. should. And I'd probably just break something. We'll take that bike one day spreading. Please, right. please do or please don't. Yes, please do. Um, and obviously, there, I suppose also on the gravel with the one by you've got you, you've got the the chain. Sp- more likely to stay on because you've got a clutch system mm. on on GRX. You've got the the orbit kind of system on on um, on axis, which sort of is like a clutch but isn't a clutch. Yes, yeah. sort of and you, what you've got narrow wide rings and yeah. all that sort of stuff. All, all the sort of tech that mountain bikers have developed mm. with chain retention has a place on gravel, I reckon. Yeah. And yourselves, you know, personally, would you would you be willing to nail your your colours to a particular group set manufacturer's mast I mean for me it's obviously Campagnolo we haven't even talked about that either. <laughs> but you know Shimano or SRAM or do you just uh, you know are they equally equally as good I think, they, I think they're good at different things yeah. I think they're good at different elements within all that mm. um, no I think it's impossible to say you'd, you prefer one over the other because I think there's so many good things yeah. about each, to be honest. Well, what would you combine? You know, if if you if you could if they could be spliced, married together to create some kind of, you know, I was going to say a rude word then, but I didn't. If we're talking mechanical, I'd have an XTR shifter any day of the week. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty ambivalent towards the rear mech, although the little locking feature on a SRAM one I quite like when you're removing a wheel um, over the sort of the on-off clutch for a Shimano. Uh, and maybe I'd go for a SRAM cassette just because there's a better choice of wheels at the moment. There you go. Maybe you can. <laughs> and a race face chain set, just because. <laughs> just because you like to be different. Yeah. 
All right, well, I think that probably concludes that section of uh, this section of, of the podcast. Very interesting. I have learned something. I hope everyone else has. And obviously, if you've got any comments <laughs> about this, you know, do let us know because we, we want to... We want some feedback. I, I think we, we want to hear what you, I think we want to hear what you've got to Unless say. Unless it's bad. No, all, all <laughs> feedback is welcome. We just we can choose to ignore it. Okay. You're listening to the Bike Radar podcast with me, Rob Spedding, and I'm joined by Tom Marvin and Robin Weaver. Coming up, we're going to be talking about upgrading your kit. How much should you really spend on new wheels, new shoes, new chamois? And then we're going to find out what a bike tester actually does. We've just been talking about probably some reasonably expensive kit, particularly on the, the road side, SRAM's uh, e- Access ETAP Red. I probably got that in the wrong order. I think I did. You know, that's... A couple of that's, grand. Yeah, that is a pricey thing to add to a mm. bicycle. And if you're buying a bike with it already on, you are spending um, you're spending car money. Uh, that's an analogy we'll, we'll always use, and we'll probably come back to that again because I just like talking about cars. But, you know, that's a lot of money. So... Is it worth spending tons and tons on your bike bits? As in, like upgrade. So if you've already got a bike, yeah. like buying a new set of you, forks instead of yeah, you're not buying a you're not buying a new bike, but you kind of think, I want. Uh, can I get some? Can I get some wheels that make me faster? Can I? Can I get some? I don't. Can I get some handlebars that make me make the bike lighter? You know, it. it you can. You can obviously spend a huge amount making your bike better I guess it's it's down to what you're trying to achieve mm. so if yeah okay if you're looking to get faster then maybe I don't know on the road dropping some weight making you know uh, getting some stiffer wheels for better power transfer that sort of thing maybe that makes sense and I guess in a similar sense on the mountain bike side of things if you're upgrading your fork your shock so you can get better grip equally your tyres and things like that maybe that will not only help with your confidence, but it will give you some kind of mechanical advantage. But, you know, like I said, it's down to what you're trying to achieve. What's the most you've ever spent on a piece of equipment for a, for a bicycle? For as, a humble as an upgrade? Bicycle? As an upgrade, a... yeah. Mine's always suspension. Yeah. I've always spent, spent the money on suspension. Mm-hmm. Forks are always going to be pretty much the most expensive thing you're going to put on a bike, other than maybe some of these, like, Mm. carbon wheels or something these days. And Also, you remember when we were spending the money on that? It was a while ago. Yeah. And so Mm. late 90s, early 2000s, the stuff, you know, your standard fork and shock was relatively primitive compared to what you've got now. (laughs) You can spend, like, if you've got a decent bike, you could spend, you know, and say your bike comes with, like, a, a Performance Elite 36, that's you, a fork. That's a that's suspension a fork. fork. Yeah, like yeah. A, a pretty decent is, one. Is that one that comes on quite a lot a few of like bikes? mid to high end bikes will have that bike. It's what we call. Is it what we call OEM, or, or is it? It's not, is it? Uh, no, mm. I think you can buy. Aftermarket. No, you can buy yeah. aftermarket. Yeah, but the, the temptation will be to buy. We should the old... probably say what OEM stands for, shouldn't we? Original equipment. <laughs> if we knew what it stood for, we should say for it. It's the stuff that you get that comes. Only made for yeah, manufacturers. For, for a brand, isn't it? Yeah, of course. Um, that you can't easily buy aftermarket. Yeah. But if you've got, you know, say you've got a performance of it, you can see like some review that Seb's written about the new Grip 2 Factory 36, and you'd be like, oh, geez, that looks amazing. That's obviously going to make everything better for me, and it's going to cost me a grand. I think, 
I think that's probably a waste of money. Yeah. I, I, on the roadside, the, obviously, we don't have suspension forks. So it's, I think for us, it's probably wheels. Aero you know, wheels. You, aero wheels or light climbing wheels from they, brands. I think like, they probably make a certainly like dropping a load of weight from yeah. your wheels on a road bike makes a noticeable difference to the feeling of the bike. True. Whether it makes a noticeable difference to the performance of the bike is. A noticeable difference to your wallet because, you know, it's two, it can be anything between 1,000 yeah. and 3,000 pounds. So I, I suppose it's, is it worth spending that and getting an instant hit? Um, and, you know, I like spending money on things, uh, mainly Lego, but we won't go into that right now. Um, but, you know, you get this instant hit, you get the endorphins of buying something nice, and then you can put it on your bike and actually your bike feels better. But what about if you just spent longer riding your bike and you shifted the same amount of weight from yourself for free. It's controversial. Mm. I think there are things that you can spend money on that do have like a genuine like benefit. Like a decent pair of tyres mm-hmm. costs you 100 quid for a pair of them. That would make a, a noticeable genuine improvement on the way your bike feels and handles and rides. Yeah, And that will improve <clears throat> all around your riding experience. If it's making a marginal upgrade on the damper in your suspension, maybe not. If it's a yeah, I mean, if you're going from uh, a really basic suspension fork to a top end fork, you'll notice yeah. there will be a huge jump, I think, in performance, and it will, like we said earlier, there's that knock-on effect with confidence and stuff like that, and it will, you know, improve traction and all that sort of stuff, dynamic geometry mm-hmm. as you're riding. Um, but yeah, I guess fundamentally, if you're just looking for something that's going to help you perform better, ride faster, whatever it might be, and you don't want to spend it on kit, you need to obviously think about coaching, mm. about what you can do to improve your riding ability, whether that's get fitter, stronger, whether that's purely technique stuff. Yeah. So if you're a mountain biker and you want to improve yourself, um, how how would you go about that? How much would you, you know, how much does a, a, a mountain bike coach, someone who could make you better at descending, say, if you wanted to get better at that, how much would that cost you? Um, and what's the payoff? You know, what could, what kit would you pop on your mountain bike to make you go downhill faster compared to going and seeing someone who can shout at you or whatever they Well, do. Tom's I, been to see a coach, haven't you? Yeah, I've I paid out my own pocket for yeah. some coaching because there's an aspect of my riding that, I wasn't very relatively uncomfortable with or not so confident with, so I paid 30 quid an hour for right. three hours one-on-one with with Katie Curd, who was excellent. And she is? Uh, she is former World uh, Fourcross champion and current um, World Cup downhill racer. Mm-hmm. Um, so she took the stabilisers off and you were better, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> helped me balance. She held the back of my saddle, gave me a push and told excellent. me to pedal. Um, no, but, yeah, so... so- if you don't, you don't have to say, you know. But no, no, no. What so was it I, 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 I've never been the most confident of jumpers. You right. know, um, when I was a kid, I, I rode cross country bikes mm-hmm. for the most part. Wheels rarely left the ground. So, yeah. but I liked riding more fun stuff. Um, okay. So jumping was something that I wasn't particularly com- well confident on. So I would, I, I, I went to Katie and I was like, look, this is what I'm not very good at, or I feel I could improve at. Mm-hmm. What can we do? And I spent, you know, three hours, effectively a hundred quid. Yeah. Um, and that has lasted me far longer than a pair of tyres yeah. that would have cost 100 quid because they'd have worn out by now. Mm. Um, and, and they, they wouldn't w- have made you any better at jumping, I'm assuming. No, and they wouldn't have, you know, contributed to my riding experience on every single ride because right. I might have bought a mud tyre but mm-hmm. a bit useless in the drive. So, you know, like it was a worthwhile 
spend, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. So if we're talking about spending a couple of hundred quid, I'd go with that. Maybe look at that first. So if you're sort yeah. of thinking of I'm going to spend 200 quid to or 500 quid to make my bike a little bit lighter so that I can ride a sportive uh, 15 seconds faster or whatever it is, you know, or, or a minute faster, might actually be better to, uh, you know, I'm going to talk to a coach. I am going mm. to get a training get plan, training, nutrition, and just see how that can help yeah. me. I mean, there's nothing, there is nothing wrong with spending money. If you've got that money, you want to spend it. Do it. I Spending mean, I the most. I think there's nothing wrong with thinking about the most effective way to spend mm. it, though. Like, dinner, we're going to be doing a feature for Cycling Plus on Boardman's Wind Tunnel. Yeah, and so that's that's former uh, world hour record holder Tour de France rider Chris Boardman. He obviously now probably better known for the Tour de France commentary and owning a bike brand, but he also has a wind tunnel, not in his back garden, but up in Worcestershire. Evesham. Evesham, yeah. So he's got this Boardman Performance Centre. You can go there. It's got like a, it's got a nice showroom for the entire mm-hmm. Boardman range. And then upstairs, they've got um, people who look at your physiology. They've got people who look at your bike fit. And they've also got a, a, a wind tunnel built specifically for cycling. Yeah. And as a punter, you could go there and... It's a few hundred quid. I think it's about 400 quid or so mm. for a wind tunnel session. Yep. But your position on the bike, if you know, because going fast on a bike is down to aerodynamics pretty much. Yeah. Right? And on you a could, road bike, right? On a road bike. Yeah. You know, you, you could drop two grand on a nice set of, I don't know, zip yeah. six or sixes. I don't know. They're probably more than two grand. Mm-hmm. And it might save you 20 watts. Yeah. I went along and, and did, you know, 400 quid, and I saved myself hundreds of watts just by having a better position on yeah. the bike and understanding more how to position myself on that bike. And so shaving that, your legs. And shaving, shaving my legs. legs. Eight watts, by the way, if you haven't shaved. You can <laughs> save yourself eight watts. How um, Eight watts. I haven't shaved, so eight watts. Eight what watts, I think, was about life? 50 seconds on a 100-mile sportive right. into a headwind at 35 kilometres an hour. That sounds like a really That's... horrible sportive. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, so... I think that definitely sort of highlights that it is real nice to have a lovely kit, right? Yeah. But you could have someone on like an all singing, all dancing venge with deep dish wheels and all this sort of jazz. Yeah. And they'll go slower than someone on a 400 quid bike from Argos who's mm-hmm. just got a better position than you. Yeah. Because this, the least effective thing on most bikes is actually the person on the bike. Yeah. I'm speaking from personal experience. They're the least air a bit. Yeah. And that's what slows you down. And le- just least effective. Least effective. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So if you have if you have got money to spend and you want to to upgrade, you know, from your experience, where would you what what are the sort of the you know the two or three things on and let's try and sort of think of road and and mountain mm. bikes. You know, what are the things that you would actually spend the money on to make your your bike better and to make your riding experience better? Um, I reckon I think Tom's already said it, but tires. I think tires make a huge yeah. difference. Um, maybe a suspension service, mm-hmm. full size bike. I think that. Uh, service and tuning. So yeah. if you know who's tuning it and you're able to communicate kind of more or less what you need and what you're trying to get out of it, they should be able to set your fork and shock up mm-hmm. so it works especially well for the type of riding you're doing, your weight specifically yeah. and things like that. Um, back to the coaching, I definitely think that's worthwhile. If you if you think you've got some issues you need ironing out or... Um, I think a big thing that I found was I did some stuff with Alan Milway, who's coached numerous world champs yeah. over the years in downhill and motocross as well. And um, 
he was really good at just sort of looking at all the basic stuff and giving me a, an easy way to approach doing some fairly simple training, but within the confines of, you know, your working week. Yeah. Um, so that was really good. And I think, yeah, then other small things like making your handlebars comfy. So mm. making sure you've got the right width bar for your body type. Um decent grips that are comfy and yeah. you know the right diameter and everything for your hands things like that and making sure you adjusted your brake levers properly all those little things add up to make you more comfortable and confident on the bike on the road i think tires actually important quite often overlooked some bikes ship with not very good tires and and changing to just a you know a, a set of tires that cost 40 50 quid uh, usually per tire actually so a set of tires 100 pounds actually will make quite a, quite a big difference to your ride and if you if you have a bike that's tubeless compatible it's definitely worth trying that out it can be a bit of a faff as roadies we 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 sometimes struggle just getting those things on but you know once you've done it they do seem to make a, a difference comfort's interesting i think definitely you know looking at your saddle particularly if you have a bike that still has the original saddle on try different saddles because that's not a massively expensive upgrade and and can make a really big difference. Well, and some shops allow you to demo them, Absolutely, yeah. You can take them out for a, a ride, you know, um, and keep them for a week, take them back and and make a choice there. Because, you know, that's a you're spending a lot of time on that. So uh, if, if your saddle isn't right, your whole ride is – every time you ride your bike, you're going to not be happy. Um, and I think, you know, coaching, definitely worth looking into. Um, as Tom has said, some, if you if you are near a, a wind tunnel and it's... It was good fun. You can definitely do it. You know, <laughs> and actually, one of the most interesting uh, and the days The Baldwin Tunnel, we're, we're, not, we're not sponsored by Baldwin here, by the way. But, you know, that Baldwin Tunnel is in with the easy reach of, of quite a lot of people, so well worth just checking that out. But also, I think something that we sometimes get accused of pushing too much, but is that idea of bike fit. And and just making sure that you fit your bike properly is is really important. I've had a had a, a couple of them, and you get very similar results uh, depending on what you do. I've done the sort of retool with Specialized. I've had sort of a, an old Italian man give me a bike fit. Sounds dodgier than it actually is, but you know he's a really experienced bike fitter, um, and it's it makes a big difference and and that is definitely worth spending a, a couple of hundred quid on just if you if you don't want to change much on your bike if you love your bike make sure it fits you properly the only thing i'd add to that is just spending a bit of time actually researching what you might you know if you are going to buy some new stuff actually research it properly and like it'll sort of think about tires if you look at schwalb's range of knobby nicks Nobby Nick, you know, people, if you go on a forum and say, oh, what tires should I get? Someone might say, oh, get a Nobby Nick. Mm. There's 42 different Nobby Nicks on the market. Right. So make sure you get the right one. And, you know, and unfortunately with tires, or well, not unfortunately, but I think it is fair to say that the more expensive the tire, generally speaking, it is going to be a better tire. If you look within, you know, a cheap Minion versus an expensive Minion, the expensive one is probably, mm. give or take a few different permutations of the model sort of, how it's built is going to be a slightly better tire. I guess the only downside to just point out there is that the cheaper tires are generally made of harder rubber, which yeah. does last a bit longer. The softer compound rubber does wear a bit quicker. So it's a balance between what you need, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. Maybe you'd put a slightly harder wearing, sort of less sticky rubber on the back. Yeah. But if you're looking for confidence and control, a stickier front tire. You know. So just have a research of you know what the different symbols on the side of the tire actually mean, and you'll probably make a better buying decision out of that. That's three out of three for tyres, isn't it? 
So are, we, are we just concluding? Just buy new tyres. Yeah, basically, yeah. Get better tyres. <laughs> and if you do want to buy new tyres, you know, there's only one place to find what out a about segue. it. <laughs> yeah, what a segue. It's the tyre workshop. On... <laughs> oh, no, wait. <laughs> no, it's, you know, you need to research. Tom's talked about research. And who better to help you research your next tyre purchase than the test team at Bike Radar on Cycling Plus and MBUK. Well, that's we have probably Seb Stott, isn't it? Seb Stott, yeah. Where is he? We have two of them here. We've got Robin Weaver and we have Tom Marvin. And I'm actually pointing at them. You can't see that, but I'm just pointing at them because it makes me feel better about life. Um, chaps, gents, guys, how long, Robin, have you been testing bicycles? Uh, I started testing for MBUK in... Would have been 2007. Mm-hmm. Tom? I'm in my sixth year of doing sixth it. year of doing it. And I guess the question that people who look at you guys and think, I want to do that job, is A, how do I kill them? But B, how do I, how do, how do you get into this thing? How do you get into bike testing? Be very cheap. <laughs> Don't ask for a bit. <laughs> no. Uh, no comment. No comment. How do we? How did we do it, Weeves? Yeah, how? Yeah, I how, guess two different. Well, we, I, two different ways. Well, what's it? your yeah. cycling history? Yeah, and then how did it? How did it get to this point where you're in your dream job? Oh, after Tom, go for it, Tom. Yeah. Um, well, I'd ridden bikes like you know all my life. My parents are sort of quite quite eco. Yeah. So I was all sort of pushed into riding bikes. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of got into mountain biking when I was a teenager because I wanted to go down to a large cycling superstore and buy a, a flashy-looking full-suspension mountain bike from a what I thought was a cool bike. Right. And I think my dad realised very quickly that that was going to be utterly shit. Uh, and he said, you know, let's go and uh, let's build a bike. Like, you know, let's go and like go down to the little, there's a little bike shop in my village. He sold parts mm-hmm. and sort of went from there. So me and my dad, as a project when I was 12 or 13, built a mountain bike right. and sort of my my interest in mountain biking sort of spurned from there. It'd be great if your dad was Mike Sinyard, wouldn't it, or someone like that, but he's not. <laughs> he, he, and then no. that's how Specialised started. Yeah, and there we go. <laughs> and that's why I'm doing this. Um, and then, yeah, no, I, I, you know, I rode sort of, well, I've always ridden since then. Yeah. I ended up, after university working for a travel website, ended up doing web content and search engine mm-hmm. optimization for, for that and then ran out of money. And then saw this job. Yeah. And yeah. because I wasn't earning anything, I was like, well, this is a step up. <laughs> right, let's not, I won't earn anything now. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, applied and went from there. Okay, and Rob? Um, I guess similar. I used to ride bikes with my dad, and my brother was really into BMX, so I used to ride with him. And then, you know, slowly you get bored of just riding along the cycle path. So dad would be like, oh, let's go to the woods. And you ride through the woods, and then you start doing steeper and steeper yeah. hills and things like that. And, and eventually, I think I was... Uh, maybe 10, nearly 11, um, I decided that, oh, I'll go racing. I'd bought MBUK. Yeah. Um, it's back in, what, well, night one, night two, something like that, mm-hmm. I think night two. Bought MBUK, and uh, they used to advertise all the races in the back, and I found one fairly close to where we lived, and we went racing cross-country, and then a couple of the guys that lived down the road from us happened to be going to exactly the same race. So I started riding with them. They only lived two or three doors down. And in fact, Luke, who now works on MBUK, was... That's Luke Marshall on, yeah, on that's Mountain Bike in UK. And then, yeah, um, Luke and his brother Rob and myself, we raced um, a bit of cross-country, then got into downhill because 
I am small and I was mm -hmm. even smaller, obviously, back then. So when it came to cross-country racing, there was kids absolutely... For people you can't see him, he's about four foot six. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I really struggled. I had asthma and I was tiny. With asthma. So as soon as I got to, I think it was the later years in the youth category, the kids that were sort of mm. at the upper end of the category were absolutely flying and just kicking my ass. And so we always rode jumps we dug you know downhill tracks and stuff like that so yeah. just naturally went towards the downhill thing and then we really got into it and we were yeah. racing you know go race every single weekend and it went from regional to national stuff and luke and i raced on a few different teams together yeah. did um a fairly poor season of world cup racing yeah and that's how you <laughs> I ended up say on, racing is that how you ended up on NBK? I, I participated in a few <laughs> yeah. in a few races <laughs> and did really badly but made everyone else feel a lot better about yeah. themselves um that was the main thing and then um yeah through that i kind of yeah just from riding for a couple of different uh, we rode for i think we rode for saracen for a bit and through that i met steve bear and then through steve bear Steve Bear is one of yeah, the photographers was, that we use. He was the main, he was mm -hmm. the main photographer for MBUK yep. from about 88, I think. Mm -hmm. And through Steve, I ended up going on bike tests, yep. shoots and stuff like that. And then slowly got to know the guys in the office and then went into actually testing the bikes on a freelance basis. So, yeah, so I worked on a, a, as a freelancer for a bit and then ended up in the office yep. about 10 years ago, I think. And you're still here. Yeah, yeah can't get rid of me. <laughs> yeah, no. And in charge. Well, sort of. So what is it you do? A question that I hate being asked because I can't answer it. But, you know, what is it? How does, how, how do you select product to test, um, you know, and then how do you test it? I mean, riding bikes, I guess, is one way. But, how, you know, how long does it take? What, what, how, how, how does it work, basically? Yeah, how does it work? I mean, it, there's a few different ways of us getting hold of bikes. Mm -hmm. Sometimes bikes will come from, from launches, so there's a new yeah. bike, and we're like, you know, brand so XYZ has got this, let, let's make sure we That's we a big part it. of your jobs, isn't it, is being jetted out first class <laughs> to exotic locations um, and, you know, being fed the finest foods, drinking the most expensive wines. Oh, have, I, have, I, have I got that wrong? Well, well <laughs> I don't know about first class. But you certainly spend a lot, a lot of time jet. out of the country, don't you? Um, particularly in the summer, because that's when people are launching bikes. So that's when you get to see the, the brand new stuff, the newsy, the stuff that people... Yeah, I mean, people, if you're into bikes, you probably have... A lot of people who are into bikes will have an interest in what's new mm. and, and what's coming out. And, of course, you know, as with any industry, there are press trips, press launches to go and see the new stuff. And yeah. obviously, they probably want to shine the bike in its best light. You've got to go into that with your eyes wide open mm -hmm. and be like... We know what they're doing, um, but it's still important to cover the key bikes in that in that yeah. way. You know, bikes are launched with an embargo, so you know there's in theory it's a fair level playing field between all the different yeah. media outlets. So if you can go out on a launch, it gives you opportunities to get relatively unique content for the embargo rather than just spewing out a press release mm -hmm. that you've got sent on email. So there are uses to go on there. It's not yeah. not just a jolly, and it also. From the bike testing point of view, generally it means you get a foot in the door when mm -hmm. it comes to ordering the bikes and getting yep. the bikes ahead of, you know, everyone else if you can. So at least you're almost sort of, you're further up the queue, Yeah, I guess, when it comes to that. And it's meeting the people as well and finding out who's behind it because then inevit inevitably as you ride those bikes, you generate questions and it's good to know 
the right people behind it, especially if you can meet the engineers and yeah. stuff like that. Because it's a really interesting industry, isn't it? I mean, um, because mo- almost everyone who works in it, almost everyone, I think, just loves cycling and, and riding bikes, mountain biking, road biking. They all come from a riding background. The engineers all ride bikes. The people that sell the bikes all ride bikes. The, the people that are out on the road selling the bikes and the people who work in the PR departments for all of these bikes, most of them are massively dedicated cyclists and cycling nerds aren't they so it's kind of if you're in to that sort of thing it's quite it's it's actually it's not massively hard it is hard work but it's kind of there are worse ways to spend your time oh god we're super lucky Mm. our jobs are incredible okay Mm. there's a load of admin and that goes on behind closed doors and there's you know if you're working on a magazine when it comes to deadline yeah it's pretty stressful at times Mm. but you know, the good bits far outweigh the bad yeah. bits. And, we, you know, we get to ride amazing bikes, new bikes, all the latest kit. Um, we get to go to amazing places to do that. You essentially end up kind of, as you said, you know, you're working with people that share the same interests. Yeah. You're all in it for the same reason. And it means that you end up working with your mates, yeah. basically. So when, you know, you go out testing, you just pick up your mate in the van, mm-hmm. drive somewhere good. Go and ride bikes and test them. And when you get to that somewhere good and you are testing a bike or you're testing some shoes or you're testing a full-face helmet, whatever it is you're testing, what's your, what's your process? What's your thought process? What are you thinking? Because, you, you know, I've done some testing, but I'm not a tester, and, and it, it's really difficult for me um, because I probably don't have the, the, the experience and the knowledge of riding as many bikes as you guys and as Warren and Robin and Simon on the roadside and Seb and Matthew and and Alex on bike radar. Just loads of... We've got a big group of people here who test bikes, have a load of knowledge about bikes, probably about a 1,000 years of accumulated bike knowledge, I'd imagine, something like that. So what's your thought process when you're testing bikes? What are you thinking about? I guess the key is to create that process and know exactly how you're going to approach it, be really methodical in how you go about it. So if it was, I guess, a set of forks Mm -hmm. or however many sets of forks, the key is to try and be as consistent as possible. So go and ride one or two of the same tracks and then you switch the product. So you're riding stuff back to back. So that way it enables you to notice the differences or it should be able to pick up on those differences and it, it takes a little bit of the guesswork out of it by doing something like that. So, But it would be things like, you know, do it on the same bike. You don't change anything in terms of setup with your handlebars, with your tyre pressures and stuff like that. And it's just a case of, you know, switching a fork, switching a wheel, making sure everything's identical again, go back up the hill, ride the same tracks over and over and over again. And then alongside that, you need to then take that set of forks, for example, and put it in a different you know, a variety of situations mm. because you're not going to just be riding the same track over and yep. over again because it's only going to lead you to the similar conclusion. You might need to go and ride something that is complete opposite. You might have been riding something that's really steep and hard and mm-hmm. rocky maybe. You need to go and ride something that's a bit faster and mellower. Maybe the hits, the 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 bumps, for example, are, are a different shape. So the fork will react in a different way. And then you need to then do another back-to-back test with this different fork on the same track. And then you just keep repeating that. And then, as you mentioned, with the big group of people, we're able to then get feedback from lots of different lots of different people who have ridden the bikes or the forks or the products or whatever it might be in lots of different situations. Yeah. 
that will then feeds into the final review. And how long do you like to spend, ideally, you know, say a new bike, how long would you like to spend on that, with that? I think it depends a bit on the, on the bike. You know, if it's a bike that's sort of a, an evolution of the previous yeah. one or a slightly different version of one you've ridden previously, then you can probably get away with a little bit less time on it. Mm-hmm. But if it's something completely new, then it's as much time as it really takes. You know, you, you might, you know, I have a few different test loops that I will do on almost every bike. And I find if, you know, if, I've, if I'm still not sure about something at the end of doing those ones, I'll then go to another place to go ride it again and to another place until I've ironed out all the little questions. So I don't think it's a case of saying, you know, each bike will get tested for 20 hours of riding yeah. time. But I think it's a case of each bike will be tested until everything that we feel needs talking about has been ridden in a place where we're able to draw some finite conclusions about it. And we've got our due diligence as well. So mm-hmm. we make sure that if something does crop up that we're a bit unsure of, we'll make sure we'll speak to the manufacturer or the engineer, whoever it may be, ask them relevant questions and find out, okay, is there a fault or is there maybe something wrong? Has, you know, in the past we've had stuff that uh, some of the bikes have maybe showed up in there early, so, you know, straight out of the factory, but they may have the wrong shock tune. And that's something that we flag up and they, they haven't realised because it's come direct. Um, we've had bikes before where it's felt like something isn't quite right with how it rides and how it behaves, the handling. And I think on this one particular bike, we ended up riding three three bikes, three different bikes into three different people. And all the same conclusion? Or... Yep, yep, more or less. Um, and we've had the same with forks before mm. where we've ridden three different forks or four different forks. We've had, you know, we've gone out to different manufacturers, strip those forks down, mm-hmm. look for issues with that sort of stuff, and then made sure that we've been as thorough as we possibly can that's the thing like you kind of need to be in a place where you can be confident that what you've written you can back up with evidence or you know because manufacturers do get upset with you if you you write a relatively negative review or even sometimes if it's a positive review they might still come back and they've picked up on something you've said and so long as you know we're confident that what we've said is right because we've done enough testing and we've done that due diligence then well that's the way it is. Yeah, I was going to say, how receptive are they? If you are testing a, a, a bike and two or three of you have ridden it, and, and you know, because these bikes aren't things that you know, they haven't just chucked these together. They've had years. Some of them have had years of research behind them or years of development, and then we have three different people ride them and say, you know, it's not very good. Well, some 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 brands obviously take it, you know, like they're a bit upset about that. But we have had brands which have come back, and you know, the next generation has had changes which have been made based on the feedback of us and, and I guess, other other sort of different people in the media as well. So it depends on the brand, really. Yeah, yeah and I think that's why it's so important to, to be so sort of on it with the communication and stuff like that. And um, and also as well to to treat everything. So if even if it's like, I don't know, a 30 quid pair of sunglasses or a, you know, six grand set of wheels, we need to do the same, go through the same process every time. And what are your least favourite things to test? What are the hardest things to test? If you've got uh, jerseys, jerseys, yeah, jerseys are tricky. Um, Is that just because the colours don't go with you? You know, don't suit you. No, <laughs> well, I'm sweaty regardless of what I'm wearing, <laughs> so it doesn't make any right. difference. I think uh, if you've got sort of high end crank sets, they're pretty tricky. Yep, they're all relatively stiff, probably similar weight, and yeah, find picking the differences between those is. Pretty tight stems. stems as well. So why don't we use, or why don't you use, science? 
you know, we ride bikes, but so why haven't we got a, a multi-billion pound lab? Pound lab yeah. Because oh, of that? Yeah, I yeah. just answered the question. <laughs> I, mean, with, yeah. well, I think, like we described in our testing process earlier on, we are trying to minimise, you know, the vari- variables. Mm. And that makes, you know, we can't be scientific in a lab mm-hmm. because we don't have the facilities to do that. But we, we, I think as much as anything, like actually riding it and, and back-to-back riding it still gets... Yeah. Good results. Well, and on the flip side, I think you could say, you know, you could take a set of knee pads, do a an impact test on them in a lab, and a certain set of knee pads might come out top, but if they still slide down your legs while you're riding, they're kind of useless, right? Huge, so unless it's unless it's sort of been through that real world test process, you know, that's that's really what the readers need because that's what it does surprise me that you you know, we do get products that come in which, you know, from respective brands or whatever, you know, whether it's set knee pads or you know, whatever it might be. And, and we quite often think, how did this happen? Mm. You know, like, because there are stuff you ride and you're like, hang on, this, is, this isn't very good. So but how does that get to the market? It's, it's quite often sort of, you, you sometimes hear, like, there aren't many bad products out there, but is, is it almost fun to find a really bad product? I don't think we're ever out looking for that. I don't no, but is, I, it, is it fun? Or is it interesting? No, or is it, is it interesting good. or is it surprising? <laughs> Surprising, yeah. I would say surprising. Mm. I think, like Tom said, you know, there's when certain things come out, and then you know, our job is to be as open-minded yeah. as possible. So when we see that stuff, we're not just casting judgment straight away. We're going, okay, right, let's put it on a bike, let's ride it, and then we'll work it out, whether it's good, bad, whatever it might be. Um, and when stuff does show up and it is bad. Yeah, it is quite surprising, and it's it's a bit disappointing more than anything because you just want you want the competition between the brands to be as tight as possible. You want everyone to have the best choice of products that's possible on the market, and so yeah, it it is sort of it's it's a little bit disappointing, and sometimes yeah, like you know, again, it is a touch baffling at times mm-hmm. when you sort of think, how did this get through quality control, stuff like that. But it's, it's rare occasionally, but yeah. It is rare now, which is great. Mm. Yeah, we're we're nitpicking a lot yeah, of the time. Totally. You know, like if you've got a group test of, of 15 products and some have got a three or three and a half out of five and some have got a four and a half out of five, a lot of the time, like that one just has got a three and a half. If you bought it, it's probably not the worst thing in the world mm. to buy because it's, you know, we are trying to find like the real points of difference between them and, and we have to be, you know, really anal about what we think is good and bad. And I think that's that's great. But kind of is what it is, really. Doesn't mean it's bad. Is that fair? Yeah. Well, that's good because I now know what you do because that's just what I wanted to find out what you guys actually <laughs> get up to during the week. So, so that's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> well done. Come back next time. <laughs> Thanks. Have a job. And of course, you know, you're doing this to help the listeners and the people who come to Bike Radar on MBUK just buy good stuff. Of course. That's the end goal is that everything we do, we have to do. As if we were spending our own money. Yeah. It's all about think, you know, putting ourselves in their shoes. You've got however much money it is to spend and you're looking to upgrade whatever product it might be. So we always need to be in that sort of mindset whereby while you're writing the review, you, you do have to think, okay, this is my bank balance. Am I willing to spend that money on this? And, you know, I think, I hope it comes across in the reviews. I hope they, I hope you can get a good idea of, about that and, and we especially try to do it with stuff like our long-term bike reviews as well after spending a year on a bike 
it's pretty interesting because most of our stuff is a snapshot. We might have a bike for a month or two months, three months max maybe, but our long-term bike reviews are over 12 months. So you really get to know the bike a lot more and maybe see the pitfalls that you might not see in a really short amount of time. So when we're, when we're coming to the sort of the conclusion of those bikes, it is all about would I buy it? Was it a good enough? Was it? Did it perform well enough? Did it do what I needed it to do? Did it fall to bits? Did it not? Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. Well, did this podcast perform well enough? Did it fall to bits? Did it do what you wanted it to do? I think we'll we'll wrap up there. Thank you, Robin. Thank you, Tom. I hope you join us again. We're going to be back with another one of these in about a month, but in two weeks uh, we will have the second of our mountain bike tech talk podcast. I yeah. believe. Hopefully, I don't know which one we're going to put out next, but um. Maybe fork dampers, maybe fork springs, one of those ones. Okay. Um, but if yeah, if you like to get a little bit more nerdy about mountain bike tech, look out for those. Well, don't don't look out for them. No, listen subscribe. Out for them. Subscribe. subscribe to yeah. the podcast. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you want any more information on what we've been talking about or more news and views on cycling, check out bikeradar.com. Bye.